Welcome again to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. Glad that you're able to join us today. And I'm going to try to finish up this uh, rather long series that I've been doing uh, on ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. I think this is going to be my last teaching lesson on it. We may include a lesson or two in the near future from some other guest speakers that I'm going to try to get on the program. But uh, this will be my last uh, lesson on this, and then we'll uh, turn to some other subject matter soon. Uh, we did the uh, series for 12 parts where I answered the question, why I am a Baptist, and we covered that. And then last week, uh, we added to that, what makes a good church? And I hope you got a chance to listen to all these previous lessons, really since the beginning of 2022. We're on our going on lesson uh, or episode 14 uh, for this new year. But anyway, today I want to finish up with another similar question that I posed last week when I asked last week what makes a good church. And this final lesson I'd like to do is answering this question, uh, why do we all need the church? Why do you need the church in your life? Um, I have to say as a pastor that these last few years uh, with COVID and all the restrictions and all that has happened in our country and around the world has been uh, probably the hardest time that uh, churches have ever faced, at least in the, in the last century or so. Uh, perhaps some have even written uh, that uh, maybe as hard as it was during the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, and back to the early time of, of the Christian churches. But definitely in these last few years, churches have been seriously affected by COVID, uh, by all the um, limitations that it created in our lives, and especially uh, the, the culture of uh, at-home uh, church viewing and at-home church listening. Uh, now, of course, our church, uh, like every other church uh, in our area, in our uh, neck of the woods here down in Texas, we closed down our services for just about seven Sundays way back in March of 2020. Can you believe it? It's been over two years now. Uh, and of course, no one knew uh, how bad COVID was going to be and, and how it was going to affect us all. So we followed uh, trying to be good citizens and trying to maybe uh, stop a, a pandemic from uh, spreading uh, more rapidly. We uh, went ahead and closed for seven weeks, like our governor, Governor Abbott at that time, uh, told us we needed to. Uh, but then we opened right back up. And really then for the last almost two years now since we've been back opened, uh, it's been difficult. It really has. There's been some of our people that have never came back after COVID. Other things COVID has caused. Uh, and I know churches uh, just like ours. I read a lot of uh, church growth and church uh, statistics and, and articles and books on on the church and American Christianity especially. And I know COVID really adversely affected a lot of churches. And so I thought I'd end the series that I've been doing on why you need the church by answering uh, that question. Uh, the church is so important. Uh, and, and just let me say that after all that we've already taught about the church, that has to come into play for this last uh, lesson, this last uh, episode. Uh, because once you understand that the church is the, is the local assembly, the called out assembly of baptized believers, that meet together to carry out the Lord's great commission, observe the ordinances, to reach the world with the gospel, and of course to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind because that'll play into 
all of the answers that I want to give to you. So let me start now by answering that question, I hope, for you. Why do you and I need the church? Well, first of all, and by the way, I'm going to give you eight of these I have just written down on some basic notes in front of me. All of them are important. I don't think any is more important than the other. They all connect like links in a chain. Number one, I would say that God commands us to be involved in his church. Hey, that's probably has to be at the top of the list for evident reasons. Uh, when God commands something, then we shouldn't need any other reason. When God tells us we're to do something and tells us we're not to do something, then those are his commands and we are to obey them. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Christians are those who love the Lord and obey the Lord. And the Bible teaches that Christians were to be a part of the Lord's churches. Uh, he commands us to be involved in his church. Jesus started his church. He said his church would always be in existence until he returned. And that we were to be involved in his churches because that was going to be his institution. We live now in the church age. If you lived in Old Testament times and, and you were a Jew or even if you weren't, uh, you would still come to find about God and, and seek Him and learn about Him through the Old Testament economy of Israel, the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrificial system. But today, we live in the church age. Jesus started a church. That's His body. That's His bride. That's His building. And through the church, we're to serve. You remember that great verse in Hebrews 10.25? You've heard every pastor uses it. Where, where the writer, I think Paul, but whoever the writer was, said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Uh, see, even in Paul's day, there were Christians evidently who were starting to uh, be weak in their view of, of church attendance and church assembly. Remember that, that phrase, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, just like saying, not forsaking the church. The church is the assembly. Remember, the church is the ecclesia, the called out assembly. So the first reason why you and I need the church is to be obedient to our Lord. When you came to Christ for salvation, you came not only to have Jesus as your Savior, but to follow him as your Lord. And he is my Lord. And if you're a Christian, he's to be your Lord. We follow him. We obey his commandment. And so I love the church and I want to be a part of the church because my Lord uh, has commanded me to be so. Well, the second reason why you and I need the church is that it's God's place of worship and service. As I just mentioned, the Old Testament had its place, Israel and the temple and so on. But now today, in this period since 2,000 years ago, when Jesus started that first church, it consisted of the apostles, they were the foundation, they were the first members, and he added to that, and all throughout these last nearly 2,000 years, He's been building his church through churches. It's the church age, which is the period of time he'd use his churches to do his work all over the world. And that is the place of worship. Do you know in 1 Timothy 3, uh, in verse 15, uh, let me turn to where he tells uh, Timothy, uh, a pastor, he ought to know how he ought to behave himself. Notice how he says this. But if I tarry long, Paul writes to young Timothy, that thou mayest... Know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the church is called the house of God, very much like the Old Testament temple or tabernacle at first was called the house of God. Now the church is the house of God. And it is the place of worship. 
Uh, you can read so many times in the Old Testament where the Levites and the priests and even the people who came to the temple would be involved in worship, uh, lifting up the Lord, giving Him praise and majesty and, and adoration. Remember the word worship means to ascribe worth or value to someone or something. And in the case of us as Christians, our worship is for the Lord and Him alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the true and living God. And we come to church to worship. Uh, we also come because it's the place of service. It's a place of service. We know that uh, the Bible teaches that we're to be serving the Lord. I love John 12. Let me turn to it. It just comes to my mind. It's one of my favorite verses on service where Jesus said in John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Wow, what a great, tremendous truth. We're called to serve the Lord, right? He came and served us. He said, he, said he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so as we serve, we have to have a place to serve. One of the greatest things about uh, the church, and, and if I use the phrase local church, you know I'm using that as a contrast to the, I think, errant view of a universal invisible body of all the saved. So, but it is a redundant title to call it the local church. The church is local. It's, a, it's an assembly and it can't uh, ever assemble unless it's localized. But when I use that phrase, what I mean is the local church is the place where Christians are to serve. You can serve God through the church. That is what churches were meant to do. In the early churches of the book of Acts, you could see this, where people served in various capacities. You could read passages like Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, uh, 12 through 14, really. And you see about spiritual gifts. And where do they use those gifts, those talents, those abilities that God gave to each of us as Christians? We're to use them in the church to benefit with all as 1 Corinthians 12 says, we use our gift to be a blessing to all in the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church. And so one of the reasons you need the church is you need to be serving God. God calls us to serve, not to sit, right? That's God's plan. And so uh, serving the Lord, uh, I'm glad that the church provides that place. Uh, here at our church and every church I've been involved with, we've always had plenty of uh, places to serve. In fact, more need than people to meet that need, sadly. But there's always a place to serve. There's always something to do at church because God's work is just that, W-O-R-K, work. It takes everyone working together. Many members make up one body, as we have said in a previous lesson. So another reason you need the church is it's a place you can worship the Lord and serve the Lord. Can you imagine a Levite uh, a priest, one of the sons of Aaron and his lineage. Can you imagine them sitting around the tabernacle or temple later and you know, twiddling their thumbs and, and you know, humming a tune and looking up in the sky and nothing to do? No. When you study the, the, a day in the life of a Levite, I have a message I preached, a day, in, a day in the life of a Levite. Boy, they were busy. They were serving. Uh, they were, when the tabernacle was mobile, they would have to break it down and set it back up. And, and if you were from the family of Gershom or, or Marari or Kohath, those three branches of the Levitical tribe had to do different things to set up and break down and carry the tabernacle. And then Aaron and his direct sons would do all the service there. Man, it was a busy life. And I'll tell you, uh, churches are run by busy people. 
But being busy for the Lord is the best busy you could ever be. We're not talking about just being busy for busy's sake. We're talking about being busy for the Lord. You know, in Revelation, I've been studying that with some of our men, the book of Revelation, when Jesus speaks to all the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, one of the things he says to nearly every one of them, even when he has negative things to later say about them, he'll say, I know thy works and thy labor. That's what he said to the church at, at Ephesus. He says to Smyrna in verse 9, I know thy works. He says to Pergamus in verse 13, I know thy works. Uh, man, he keeps saying that. He says to Thyatira, verse 19, I know thy works. Uh, he just keeps saying that. To Sardis, I know thy works. To Philadelphia, I know thy works. To Laodicea, I know thy works. Well, in the case of Laodicea, that last seventh church, it wasn't a good thing. But still, what I want to try to stress to you is the Lord cares about us serving and working in the church. One other lesson since I'm on Revelation, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, there's just a little comparison that I always like to use about serving the Lord. Uh, do you notice that it says of Jesus in this vision John has in Revelation 1.20 that he sees his vision of Christ and he's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, right? And then Jesus said, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. I think probably the pastors, the messengers. But then he says, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Isn't that interesting that he says the candlesticks there in that vision John has are the churches. Well, let me bring that together to use scripture, to interpret scripture, and to come together to form a great idea. Um, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about Christians? In uh, Matthew 5 and verse 16, uh, he had first talked, called us the light of the world. And then in, in, in the same thought, he says in verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Isn't that interesting? We're to let our light shine. Let me compare that to Revelation 1.20. We're to let it shine on the candlestick, which is the church. I'm afraid too many Christians, those who least name the name of Christ, their candles went out, their lights went out. They're not faithful in church. They're not serving in church. That's a sad commentary. The Lord saved us to serve in his church. Thirdly, let me go on. Third reason why you need the church. You and I need to be a part of a family of believers. I say this often to our church. In fact, every email I send to our church people in our group email, I, I, I say, hello, church. Hi, church. Hi, church family. That's what I always say. Church family. Because the church is a family. And I've, I've preached on this and taught it. It's a great symbolism. I don't have time to, to carry it all the way out in its many facets here on this podcast. But let me just say, you know, when you're born again, you're born into a family. Yes, the family of God. I agree with that. I believe in the family of God. It's all believers of all time who've ever been saved. But in a localized expression of that, the, the church, the ecclesia, is a family. You have a family leadership. You know how a husband, a father's lead his home, where you have pastoral leadership in the church. You have discipline, you have love, you have provision in a, in a home, in a family. You have all those things in the church as well. Every Christian needs to be a part of a church family because the church is like a family. We love each other. We pray for each other. We care for each other's needs. We do things together. We fellowship. We spend time together. And so you need the church because you need a family to be a part of. Can you imagine a child being born? It happens all the time. It's one of the greatest tragedies and 
sad things in our society, but you've heard the, the stories many times. A child would be born uh, to a young girl out of wedlock, and she might uh, put that child in a, in a trash can. She might uh, take its life. Uh, she might just leave it on the doorstep of the fire department or maybe at a, you know, at a, uh, uh, some kind of local center or something where she thinks it'll be helped. Now, let me just make this application from that. You know, a child that grows up without a father and mother, without a home and a family, they're going to still grow up. That's true. They're going to they're going to mature physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically, but they're going to be stunted. Their growth is going to be uh, off. They won't be what they could have been with a father and mother and and perhaps siblings, but at least with that love and and nurturing and protection and provision and an example and teaching that they should have had. And it's the same for a Christian. Let me apply that to a Christian now. You know, if, if a person's saved and they're truly born again, uh, they always are going to be saved. And once saved, always saved. We've taught that. We know that. But they'll still not be what they could have been and should have been if they would have been in a church. I stress to every Christian I meet, if they have a testimony, they surely have been converted. They need to be in a church. The church is God's family. For you to grow up and mature and, and have all the, the strength of a family from that place and from those Christian people. Well, let me go on to number four. Another reason why you need the church is you can't live the Christian life alone. I've already hinted at this, but I'm just putting all in, in an organized plan here to lay these all out for you. Hey, the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. We need community. You hear a lot about that idea of community. Do you know, even the secular world realizes how important community is. Atheists, non-believers, uh, unsaved people who don't even care about Christ still seek community. They seek to be a part of clubs or fraternities or organizations, something uh, that they can be a part of that's bigger than themselves, a team or whatever. Well, God knew how important that, that team, that community spirit would be. We were never meant to live the Christian life alone. You know, if you try to live your Christian life without a, a good sound church to be involved in, in your, in your local community, you're like an island out there in an ocean of trouble and turmoil and chaos and struggle. You're never going to make it. You're going to seem like you're tossed everywhere. You won't know where you're at and where you're going. The Christian life was meant to be lived in community. And that community is the ecclesia, the Lord's church. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we need each other. Number five, the fifth reason why you need the church is it gives you and I a place to love others tangibly. Tangibly. What do I mean by tangibly? In a real concrete way. We know the word love. It's, oh, what a beautiful word. It's one of the great themes of not only the Bible, but of all of history, of, of God's work and his revelation of mankind. Uh, God is love, the Bible says. We know love is not a passive word. It's not just an emotion. Love is an action. Love is carried out. Remember, I, I already quoted where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, when you love someone or something, you'll act towards it. You'll show that love. And now throughout the New Testament, especially, but all through the Bible, Christians are told to love one another. We're told to love the world. We're told to love our enemies even. Now, when it comes to loving one another, I just preached on this this past Sunday. I preached on the one another's in the New Testament. 
And the, the greatest of these, there's 12 of them, by the way. I find that interesting. 12 one another's in the New Testament. And the one that's mentioned the most, or the prefix to it, uh, that comes before it, is to love one another. There's other ones, edify, pray for, all kinds of other ones I went over. But pray, I'm sorry, love one another is the most frequently stated uh, uh, truth about one another. And how are we going to love one another? You can read in 1 John, for instance, where that book of 1 John, great little epistle, mainly written to give us assurance of our salvation. How do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Well, one of the main things John teaches through that book is that if you love the brethren, you know you belong to God. You've passed from death into life. Um, and how do we show that, though? Uh, he didn't mean just loving anybody. The word brethren there is, is, a, is a term of endearment for Christians. It's your fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God in, the, in that local assembly. And so you and I in the local church have a place to love each other in tangible, real ways. Not just, hey, I love you, brother. I'm praying for you. You know, not, not just in shallow words, but in, in deed and in truth. Remember what John, speaking of 1 John chapter 3, let me read you what John said. It's a great verse. He said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, I'll tell you how you do that. You do it in a church. I can show my love to my fellow brothers and sisters, other members of this church, by real ways of doing that. Coming alongside them, helping them, praying for them, spending time with them. When they have a need, going over there and helping them. Uh, as a pastor, I try to spend time with our people and try to watch for their souls, as the book of Hebrews says a pastor should do, and, and be involved. And all of our people are encouraged. We have some wonderful members here at our church that reach out to one another. They really love each other. That's what we're supposed to do. And without a church, you, you can't fulfill that. How are you going to love the brethren? The brethren are supposed to be meeting together. And in the assembly, you can show that love. My daughter, give you a great example, a good, a good illustration of this. My daughter just had, a, had her a third child. We went out to California to see our uh, newest little grandson recently. And her and my son-in-law are part of a church out there in California. And one of the things that's blessed my heart about the church they, they are members of now is that church has just blessed them and showered them with, with uh, so much love. They've brought meals to them for several months now and just went out of their way and invited them to things and, and got to know them. They're kind of new to the area and, and they haven't been there that long and they're new to the church. But boy, what an example of Christian love. And that's what you're to do. You're to do it in the assembly. Well, let me go to number six. I'm going through eight of these, so I'm almost done. Number six is another reason why you and I need the church, that all New Testament Christians that could were a part of a church. Man, I think this needs to be stressed. Um, when I meet Christians or hear of Christians that don't seem to have a real burden and real uh, conviction about church and their involvement in the church, I say, you need to read your New Testament, friend. The New Testament shows all Christians who could and had the opportunity to, united with a church. Look at all the letters that Paul writes. He writes to churches or leaders of churches. And even when the general epistles are being written by Jude and, and James and John and Peter, they're writing to Christians in assemblies still. All the New Testament teaches the, the church. It's a very church-oriented book. You can't, you can't get out uh, away from the church being the central theme of the place where Christians were to unite and serve and work and love God and do all the things we've already been talking about. 
there's no example except for perhaps someone like the thief on the cross. I know we often hear people bring the thief on the cross into the a story of, or the idea of you don't have to be baptized or you don't have to do any certain ritual to be saved. And that's a good example of that. He didn't have any opportunity to come down off that cross and get baptized or to do any other good deed, including joining a church. So we can give him an exception to the rule. Yes, Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He looked over to the Lord and, and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so we'll give him a pass on the church because he didn't have an opportunity. And some people would bring up maybe the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 as he's baptized by Philip after his conversion. He goes down to Ethiopia. Was there a church there? Well, maybe not. Maybe not yet. But remember, we're in a transition. The book of Acts is a transitional book, and the church is in its infancy, and a lot of things haven't been established yet. But we're way past the book of Acts now, and churches have been established for 2,000 years nearly. There's no excuse for a person who's truly saved, knows the Lord, not to be a part of a church because all Christians uh, follow the Lord in believer's baptism, which is carried out by a church. Remember our lessons back on the ordinances earlier? And so we ought to be in a church. We need the church because all Christians in the New Testament were part of a church. Well, let me go on to number seven. Uh, seventh reason why I think we all need the church. Jesus loved the church, and he promised to meet with us in the church. There's a passage you know very well in Matthew 18 that I just sometimes get rather frustrated that it is used out of context and, and it is misused. And that is when Jesus is speaking of church discipline in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. But I'm going to go on to verse 19, which is the very often misused verse, which if you study in its context, Jesus is talking about the church. He just said, if, if, if you have someone who sins, offends a brother, and he won't get right, uh, he said, you tell it to the church. If he won't repent and get right with the church, you treat him as a, as a publican, as a heathen, as, a, as an unsaved man, a sinner. Cast him out of the church. This is what church discipline, the, the extreme of church discipline, would, would teach us to do. But then in the midst of saying that, he says in verse 19, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, of course, it's not, it's not denying that two Christians can get together and pray together. But in the setting of the church, then he really nails it down in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. If I can borrow again from Revelation 1, where did Jesus say uh, he was in that vision John had in Revelation 1? He was walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And what are the candlesticks again? The church. See, Jesus loves the church. And he promised to meet with us in the church. Where two or three are gathered is not just some home church situation where disgruntled people who don't want to be under the authority of a pastor in a, in a setting of a church body. Uh, that's what's happening, friend, in so many cases. There's been an explosion over the last 20, 30 years in America, uh, especially, maybe other places, I'm not sure of, but I know what America has, where these little home churches have sprung up. And for the most part, all it is is people who don't want to follow God's pattern. They don't want to be involved in a local church because then they're accountable. Then they have to answer to the authority the church of God set up. That's how he set it up. See, you are to be accountable to your leaders in your church. 
That's why it says in, in Hebrews, obey them uh, that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. And he talks about you knowing those who have leadership over, the, over you and so on. And so uh, Jesus said he'd meet with us in the church. So where two or three are gathered in his name is a church statement, not just any two or three Christians meeting. We're not against Christian fellowship. I'm not denying the importance of Christ, Christian fellowship. I'm not saying it every time I meet with another Christian, it's in a church setting. But that particular verse that's so often misused is indeed talking about a church setting. And Jesus loved the church. Remember what it said in, in Acts 20? Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, Paul said those words in Acts 20 when he was meeting with those leaders at the church at Ephesus. Uh, I like that. Uh, he, he loved the church. Well, actually, that's in, uh, in Ephesians, actually. But uh, he also said uh, about this, about Jesus uh, loving his church. I like what where Paul writes in Acts 20. Let me refer to this verse now. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. And the flock there is the church. Isn't that great? The, the, the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. Jesus said, um, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good will to give you the kingdom in Luke 12, 32. That's a church setting. He uses it as a church. And here Paul is talking to these leaders of the church at Ephesus. says the same thing. They were called the elders of the church in verse 17. So he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, bishops, leaders, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And then, of course, as I have re been referring to Ephesians 5 where it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ." also loved the church and gave himself for it. And the reason you and I need the church, because it's, it's Jesus' uh, church. He loves, it's the Lord's church. What he loves, I should love. What he hates, I should hate. And so I love the church. I've always loved the church. I'm so thankful that I was saved in a little uh, church in Fort Worth, not too far from where I pastor now in, in Arlington. But uh, my pastor uh, loved the church. He taught a lot in ecclesiology and gave me a good foundation in the teaching of ecclesiology, what the Bible says about the church. I've always loved the church. I've always been faithful. I remember my wife and I, we weren't even married yet when we first were converted, May 11th, 1984, going on 38 years in this next month. But I remember when I was first saved, I wanted to be in church every time the doors were open. Man, I, I love the church. Man, we were there early. Churches, the doors were open. Bam, we are in there. I wanted to hear the word of God. I wanted to sing. I wanted to fellowship. I wanted to be around God's people. And I wonder about people today. I really do, friend. I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm just, I'm trying to be truthful. Please, I am concerned when I hear Christians today who, who say they're Christian, say they're saved, say they're going to heaven, say they love the Lord, and don't have any conviction, any desire to be in church faithfully. I just don't understand that. It's not New Testament for sure. Jesus loved his church. That's where he said he'd meet with us. Well, let me give you a final one, and I'll be done. But this is a this is kind of a controversial one, but you've probably already been learning if you've been listening to the podcast. I don't try to avoid controversial areas. I try to speak the truth in love. I don't want to be uh, an idiot about things. I'm not trying to be rude. But this is the last point, and I'm going to say it because I believe it's true. Here's another reason why you need the church, finally. Because those that are faithful to his churches, one of his churches, will be rewarded as his bride one day in the coming kingdom and eternity. There's a big debate, I know, and I don't have time to go into it now. I, maybe I'll try to take a whole 
uh, episode in the future to just teach on this subject of the bride of Christ. But I know the common belief. I'm not naive. I know the common majority belief among evangelicals, uh, uh, writers, preachers, speakers, Christian leaders would be that the bride of Christ is all the saved. Because, of course, that's their ecclesiology. If they believe all the saved make up the church, then all the saved would be the bride. But since I don't believe all the saved are the church, I believe the church is the called out assembly, and it's made up of every individual body of Christ that assembles under his name and follows his truth. So with that ecclesiology, I believe the bride of Christ is the church. And that means every Christian has been faithful to the Lord's church. Now, you may have been part of more than one body of Christ during your lifetime. That's okay. Uh, sometimes there's legitimate reasons that you have to be. A uh, church can go out of existence. You may have to move. Some emergency may take you away. And, and, but as long as you are always seeking, if at all possible, to be a part of one of the Lord's churches that's faithful to His Word and faithful to His mission, then you are going to be rewarded as being part of the bride. And again, I don't have time to develop it completely in this uh, short podcast and our time remaining, uh, but I could only say that the bride is going to be treated with the utmost uh, respect and adoration and love and, and uh, just all the accolades that you can say. Hey, think of a wedding. Uh, and you go to a beautiful wedding. Who, who really steals the show? Who's the really the center of attraction at every wedding? Well, it's the bride. You know, I was a groom. I married my sweet bride uh, over 37 years ago, uh, going on 37 years this coming July. Uh, and But, you know, I knew she was the center of attraction. And I was awed at her beauty when she came down and met me at the front. And so I know the bride's special. And you know what? One of these days, Jesus, who's our bridegroom, he's going to put us on a pedestal, we that are part of his bride. If you've been faithful to the Lord's church, and you've given, and you've attended, and you've served, you've, you've reached people, you've helped and support your church. And many, many seasoned saints in our church have been doing this for decades, all their lives, uh, their adult life, their Christian life for sure. And you mean to tell me you think someone who's never been a part of one of the Lord's churches is going to get the same reward and be honored the same way as people have served faithfully for year after year after year? Uh, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Uh, God is just and fair in, in all his dealings, and he's going to reward those who've been the most faithful. Paul said it like this, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. He, in other words, there's a comparison there. As you are faithful to the Lord, he's going to be uh, more uh, inclined to reward you and will reward you one day. Uh, and so I believe one of the reasons you need to be a part of the Lord's church is one of these days when Christ comes back, catches us all up at the rapture and then comes back in his kingdom on earth and sets up the eternal state. This is all in the Bible and we can talk about it some other time on prophecy. But I believe that all those who have been faithful to one of the Lord's churches is going to be in the bride. Now there'll be a lot of other people there, Old Testament saints. There'll be Christians who weren't faithful to the Lord's bride. But if they were truly saved, they'll be in the kingdom. That's true. They'll be there, but they won't have the honored position. They won't be a part of the bride. So, friends, I'm bringing to a close by just saying the Lord loves his church. You ought to love his church. I've been honored and blessed to be able to go through these lessons on ecclesiology these now 14 weeks. I'll kind of move to something else unless I'm able to get uh, some other speakers to come in, maybe uh, add their own voice to this. But I hope this entire series on the church and what the church is and why I'm a Baptist, why I attend a Baptist, I hope that all helped you. And if you're just jumping into this particular podcast and haven't listened to any of the other ones before this, go back if you would and start with the first one 
Uh, we've been doing this podcast for over a year, by the way. We just, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, did our 52nd uh, podcast, which is a whole year. We do one per week. Uh, but you can go back and listen to a lot of those previous ones. But the ones on the church have been special to me. So I, I'm so thankful you've been able to listen. And remember, our church's motto always is, and I hope it'll be your motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.